Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to worship today. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to be in Psalm 116. So I pray that you have a Bible with you, and uh, if you don't, take a moment just to go and get that, because we want to be active participants in God's Word, not just passive receivers, but active participants. So if you have a Bible with you at home, um, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to or watching this, um, I encourage you, please get your Bible and open it up to Psalm 116. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll begin. God, we love you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you for delivering us, for being our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rock, and our friend. Um, God, that you would hear us, that you would turn to us, that you would deliver us from our sin, that before the creation of the world, you knew that we would have hearts filled with anger and rebellion and jealousy and malice, God. But yet, while we were still sinners, you, Christ, died for us. Because of that, because of who you are, in your grace, in your compassion, your love, and your faithfulness, Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and indwelling in us, being the seal upon us that guarantees our inheritance, our eternal salvation in Christ Jesus. Uh, thank you for your love, and I pray that this message would go out today, that it would land fresh on hearts, that it would transform lives, that people would come to know Christ as their King, and God, that you would be glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, again, today we are in Psalm 116 as we continue our Let Us Sing series. Let Us Sing. And today we are going to sing a song that is our life song, our life song unto God. And that's what Psalm 116 is all about. What it's all about is the psalmist is writing and he's telling us the prescription, the protocol for living a life that honors and glorifies God, the way that we can come to know Him, that we can turn, repent from our sins unto God, and that we can lay ourselves out before the Creator, the Redeemer, our Savior and friend, this Holy Trinity God, and that these lives that we have, that they truly can be a life song, a life song unto God. That's Psalm 116. I'm going to break it up into four parts for us. And the first part we're going to look at today is verses 1 through 7. And we're going to call that part the life song prayer. The life song prayer. There are several I will statements that are made by the psalmist in Psalm 116. The first is, we see in verse 2, I will, I will call out to him as long as as I live. I will call out to him as long as I live. See, that's a pledge and a promise that the psalmist makes unto God. But why? Why does the psalmist make this pledge unto God about saying, I will call out to you. I will call out to him. That's God, his Redeemer. It's because of what has happened that's been stated previously in verse 1. It begins, I love the Lord. And I want to ask a question. Is that true of you? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Is he a God that you wake up in the mornings and you think, oh God, I love you for what you've done and for who you are. And the gift that is today and the promise that I have, 
that I can pray to you, that I can call out to you, and that you actually turn your ear to hear my prayers. I love the Lord. The psalmist says, Because He, the Lord God, has heard my appeal for mercy, my supplication, my humility, when I got humble before the Lord, when in supplication I called out to Him, the Lord heard me. He heard me. Because... It says in verse 2, because he has turned his ear to me. See, when I supplicate, when I get down humbly before God, and I offer up a prayer, a petition unto the Lord, and I say, God, in all humility, you're God and I'm not, and I need you, Lord. I need you to do something. I want you. I want to see you glorified in and through this prayer of mine. And you turn your ear to me. And that's why the psalmist says, I will call out to you. I will call out to him as long as I live. Many of us have been raised and groomed up in churches. Over the last several decades, maybe the last century, there's been this idea, this concept that is a false perception. It's a philosophy about religion. It's not the truth and the reality of God as we see in Scripture. Is that all we really need to do is just call out to Jesus Ask Him into our hearts. Our lives are forever transformed and changed. And then we just go along our merry way. We just go and we live our lives because we prayed that magical prayer. We check our wallets or our purse and we pull out that hell insurance card. Well, Jesus, I prayed the magic prayer. I asked you into my heart. The rest is on you. The rest is on you, Jesus. But that's not what the psalmist says and that's not what the psalmist does. See, this Psalm 116 is a prayer, it's a praise, it's a song about action on our part because of who God is and what He's done. I will call out to Him as long as I live. Not just today, not yesterday, not ten years ago when I prayed the magical prayer. I will call out to you as long as I live. Have you said that? Have you made that your prayer? Is that your desire when you wake up in the morning? I'm going to call out to you today, God, because I know that you're going to hear me in my supplication, in my humility. I'm going to call out to you, and I know that it's going to accomplish something because you are a God that desires and loves to be glorified in and through your people, in and through your people. I love the Lord. I love the Lord, therefore I will call out. That's going to be my life song. My life song is going to be defined. One of those criteria is that I will call out to you as long as I live. As long as I live. That's the prayer model. That's our life song. God, I'm going to call out to you. See, the human model is very different than the God model. See, the human model, we can turn in our Bibles to James chapter 4. I think I've got that earmarked here. And in James chapter 4, it says something very different. In verse 2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Brothers and sisters, do we ask in supplication? Is our life song one that's defined by prayer? Our calling out to Him all the days of our lives, as long as we live. The psalmist goes in, he continues on into more detail in verse 3, 
And he's making a statement about the reality of the position that he was in when he was distant from God, when he was stuck in his rebellion and his sin, before his life was dedicated unto God, before he would wake up in the mornings and call out to God and say, God, I want you to be my life song. I want this prayer model that I have, this splendid opportunity that you've given me, God, as my creator. You've given me this opportunity and this privilege to pick up the phone at any time and to talk to you at any time, God. Not just when it's a time of catastrophe and chaos, not just when people are rioting, not just when the world is full of disease and chaos, not just then, God, but even when things are good, when things are good, you're going to be my life song, God, and I'm going to give it all back to you. And the psalmist recognized in verse 3, that's not who I was. That's not where I was. That wasn't my reality. See, there was a time when the ropes of death were wrapped around me. And the torments of Sheol, hell, the fiery pit of death, it overcame me. I was overcome. There wasn't anything that I could do. I was depraved. I was lost. I was fragile. I was broken. And those ropes of death, they wrapped around me. They overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. And I said, Yahweh, deliver my soul. That's the literal translation. The CSB says, Lord, save me. But the Lord's name is Yahweh in ancient Hebrew. Yahweh. And it's not just save me. It's deliver my soul. Deliver the part of me, God, that you created, not this thing that I am, that I've made of myself, this abomination unto you in my rebellion and in my sin. This isn't what you made, God. This is what I've made of myself and the ropes of death wrapped around me and they overcame me. But in that moment of clarity, God, that you gave me, it doesn't have to be this way, my child. Call out to me. You gave me that moment of clarity. So I responded in faith and obedience. I called on the name of the Lord and I said, Yahweh, deliver my soul. The psalmist goes on in verse 5. The Lord is gracious and righteous. That's who you are. Our God is compassionate. A statement of reality about who God is. And in verse 6, it's recognition. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless. That was my reality. That word in Hebrew, I was empty. I had failed. I was done. I was finished. But you saved me, God. You saved me. In verse 7, the psalmist is speaking to himself. He's speaking to that part of himself that God created in his image and likeness. And the psalmist says, return to your rest, my soul. He's speaking to his soul. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Soul, that part of me that God has created, not the corrupted part that I've ruined. An entreatment, a pledge, a plea. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. So now we transition we transition into part 2, verses 8 through 15. Verses 8 through 15. The life song of service. The life song of service. See, if it's just about prayer, if it's just getting in your 
prayer closet, if it's just those quiet times with God that don't translate into any service out in the real world, then your faith is a lie. See, because the psalmist even says that in verse 9, that second I will statement, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not in my prayer closet. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. See, it's got to translate into service. My life song begins with God. It results in prayer. And it translates into actual, literal service. Before God. In the land of the living. That's what has to happen, folks. If your faith in God is merely just a synthetic, superficial, paper-thin religious experience that doesn't translate into actual walking in, actual service unto God. If we're not walking, do you remember what we talked about in Ephesians 2.10? It reads, For we are His, that's God's poema, His workmanship, His handiwork, His masterpiece, His wisdom. We are his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to walk in. See, Scripture confirms Scripture. What we see in the New Testament has already been stated many times in the Old. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's exactly what Paul was saying in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get discouraged because you feel like you're walking in it, but you're not seeing anything changing? You're not seeing any transformation. When you share the gospel, oftentimes, maybe as a pastor or someone that's a leader in ministry, and you say, my church just isn't getting it. That's because you're attempting to walk in the land of the dead. And you're not walking in the land of the living. You can't walk in the land of the dead. You can't just simply look out and say, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. I know that this is the task that you've given me. There was a man that's a famous missionary that was in China for many, many years. And when he came home to his native country, they asked him, they said, how many people came to know Christ because of your work? He said, only one that I know of. Only one? What a waste, they said. What a waste. And he said, it's not a waste because there's one person who's going to be in eternity with Lord Jesus forever and ever because of my faithfulness to the ministry that God gave me. Are you being faithful to the ministry that God has given you today? Or is it all about the numbers? How many are you running on Sunday? If your church is only 50, it's too small, you can't really do anything. What about the woman, the, the widow that brought those two copper coins and she laid it before God and Jesus said, she gave more because she gave out of everything that she had and all of the rest are giving out of their abundance. See, that's the economy of God versus the economy of the world. And see, we get it wrong so oftentimes. Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get discouraged because of COVID? Do you ever get discouraged because of riots? Because of police brutality? Because of the ignorance of people in government? See, this 
is not our home. Could I get an amen? But yet we sit there and we say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a GOP guy. I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican. And those liberals, those Democrats over there, they just don't get it. And see, then our faith isn't in Christ. It's in government. Do you ever get discouraged? See, because when our focus is on the wrong things, when we're not walking before God in the land of the living, the land of the living, that which God has redeemed and will endure forever. But yet what we choose to do day after day, time after time, year after year, decade after decade, is we choose not to walk in the land of the living. We choose to walk in that which we can see, not by faith, but by sight. And we look out and we say, things aren't really changing. They're taking down the Ten Commandments in front of public buildings. So what? See, we have this law of God that's written on our hearts and no one can take it from us. Take down all the Ten Commandments. You're not going to take away the life of Christ that resides in me. Take down all the monuments. Take down all the statues. Take down all the commandments. But you can't take it out of a saint, someone who's redeemed, who's walking before God in the land of the living. Do we get discouraged because of disease, because of social injustice, because of racism, because of homelessness and poverty, because of mental illness and broken relationships? Let's go back to James. See, what is the source of wars and fights among you? What's the source of all the chaos and corruption? What's the source of all the picketing and the rioting? What's the source of it all? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? See, it's not the government. It's not the whites. It's not the blacks or the Hispanics. It's not an issue of race. It's an issue of sin deep within us. And see, what we do is we take the focus off of God and off of the legitimate problem that is sin alive and broken human beings that need to be redeemed in Christ Jesus. And we take the focus off of that and we put it on the symptoms. If you went to a doctor and you said, Doc, I've got this GI issue that's going on and I'm constantly burping and belching and the doctor says, well, you know, here, let me write you a prescription for Gas-X or Pepto-Bismol or here, let me give you a pill rather than the doctor saying, let's find out about your health history. Have you been exposed to parasites? Have you been exposed to germs or bacteria? Have you been on a mission trip or overseas lately? Let me get to the root of the problem. No, what so many doctors today do is they say, I'm going to write you a prescription and address your symptoms. And the symptoms abate for a while, but it never got down to the root problem that maybe you had a bacteria that was eating the lining of your gut that's causing bleeding and other health issues and fatigue. Maybe would you rather go to a doctor that says what we're going to do is we're going to find out the root cause. But what we do so often in our lives and in our culture and in our country and in our world as we say, I don't want to address the issue of sin and broken human beings that leads to poverty and homelessness and to riots and government corruption and to disease and all of the other plagues and problems that we see in the world. Let's not address those. See, because if we address the reality 
of sin, then all of the other stuff takes care of itself. See, because our residence isn't here, it's in the land of the living. It's with our Creator, with God. This is not our home. This is not our eternal residence. This is a tent. It's a jar of clay with eternity, our soul, residing within it. So can we stop? Can we stop addressing the symptoms? And we, can we address the real problem of sin? See, our life song begins with God. It results in prayer, and it translates into service. I will, the psalmist says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will. And he goes on in verse 10. He says, I believed even when I said I am severely oppressed. I believed even when. See, when we make the conscious decision to believe in God, as we read in Psalm 56, verse 3, when I am afraid, God, I will trust in you. It's not a sin to feel that fear bubbling up, but the sin is, is when we act out of it, when we choose to reside here, down in this broken, dead, and decaying world that's governed by the prince of darkness, Satan, the shaitan, the accuser, rather than abiding in our heavenly realm with Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I believe even when I said I am oppressed. See, that's what the faithful person, what the godly one does. They choose not to reside down here. But he also contrasts it with, in my alarm, I said everyone is a liar. Everyone is a liar. See, when we choose to reside in sin, we focus on circumstances. We focus on the things of the world. We focus on what the white people are doing over there, what the black people are doing, what the Hispanics are doing, what those people over in China are doing. We focus on those people that are in the Middle East. We focus on things that are symptoms rather than the root cause that is sin. And the psalmist said, everyone's a liar. It causes us to say cops are evil. Government is corrupt. The president is not this and he should be that. Democrats, liberals, the people that worship the donkey, the people that worship the elephant, rather than worshiping the lamb, because he's the only one that can change our perspective from down here in the muck and the mire and take it to those heavenly realms. My life song, it has to be about service. It begins with God, it results in prayer, and it translates into service before God in the land of the living. So the next section that we're going to look at, the part three of this life song, Psalm 116, this next section is verses 12 through 14. The psalmist makes a statement in verse 13. He says, I will take up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. He says it again. Verse 14, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. See, we can use musical language, and we can call this section right here, we can say it's the bridge. It's the part that connects the first part of Psalm 116 with the last part of 116. It's something where the psalmist is reiterating. He's saying what he's already said again, and he's foreshadowing that which he's going to say in a moment. It's the bridge. It's the connecting point. I will take up the cup of salvation. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Prayer. Prayer. We've already touched on it, but prayer is so powerful. Remember, it begins with God, and it translates into prayer. 
Prayer is life actually accomplishing something in the land of the living. You say, well, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. I've, I've spent a lot of time in prayer, and I've, I've never actually seen anything accomplished. Never actually seen anything accomplished. Well, Scripture tells us prayer does, in fact, accomplish quite a bit. It glorifies God that whenever we ask, that which we ask for in Christ's name is received. It's done. It's ours. It gives us peace and strength. It thwarts the enemy. It blesses our hearts. It gives us peace. It has great power. The Holy Spirit intercedes with us and for us when we don't even know what to pray. It overcomes demonic activity. It's a fragrant aroma unto God. It fosters hope and patience and contentment. It's a testimony that brings salvation. The Apostle Peter, St. Peter, some refer to him as, St. Peter was in prison and he called out in song and he was singing to God. And what it did is it actually led someone to put their faith in Christ. Prayer accomplishes something. It refocuses our priorities. It grounds us in reality. It destroys strongholds. It is our weapon of spiritual warfare. It edifies. It strengthens the church. And it brings, accomplishes deliverance. And those who are lost, deluded, and disillusioned. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? I will. I will take up that cup of salvation. I don't know what kind of faith tradition you come from. I don't know if you were raised in the church, but if you have been, if you were, some of us refer to it as the Lord's Supper, and in the Lord's Supper we take the Lord's cup, it's often referred to as. When we take the Lord's cup and we take and we drink, whether it's wine or it's grape juice, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is that it communicates something about where our heart is with God. What is it that I desire when I take that cup of salvation? If it's just ritual, if it's just something that I'm doing out of mindless monotony, and I'm not making a pledge to God, say, God, I'm going to take this cup of salvation, this new covenant that you've established in and through your blood at the cross of Calvary. If I take that cup and I drink that cup of salvation, and it's not a pledge. It's not my vow back onto you that, God, take my life. It's all yours. This is my Thanksgiving offering. Then it means nothing. I will take that cup of salvation, and I will fulfill my vows. And the final part, part four of Psalm 116, life song as community. Life song as community community. That's verses 15 through 19. In verse 17, another one of those I will statements, the psalmist writes and he sings, I will offer you a sacrifice of todah, of thanksgiving, and call on the name of the Lord. I will offer you a sacrifice of todah, of thanksgiving. See, as we've said before, as I've preached and taught many times, is the todah, the thanksgiving offering, goes on forever. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, all of the sacrifices of the rams and the bulls and all of the animals and the birds and all of the other kinds of offerings, 
They were terminated. They ended. The veil was rent, torn in two. Access to God was accomplished in and through Christ Jesus. He said, it's finished. No more need for a sacrificial system. But what we can do is we have the privilege with our lives, with our life song that happens through prayer, through service, and in the context of community, is it becomes a thanks offering to God that will continue into perpetuity, eternity, forever and ever. We say, well, what got the psalmist to write, I will offer you a thanksgiving offering, this sacrifice. And we back up, and we see what the psalmist writes in verse 15. And it says, precious, splendid in the Lord's sight is the death of his faithful ones. Precious and splendid in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his faithful ones. And you might be sitting there and say, that sounds rather twisted. It sounds rather twisted that God would delight in the death of his faithful ones. And that's because God's ways are so high and far above our ways. See, we're looking at things through the lens of the world, the brokenness and the depravity in our desire to trump God in order to point the finger at God and say, God, you're wrong. That's, that's an abomination. That's a horrible thing that you would actually delight in the death of your faithful ones. I can't worship a God like that. See, in Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul wrote, For me, to live is Christ. For me, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, this isn't our residence. This isn't where we're going to spend eternity. None of us. See, we're either going to be born again by faith in Christ and spend it together with him for all eternity, or we're not going to do that and we're going to spend it in the lake of fire in hell for all eternity. Those are the only two options. But what we do so oftentimes is we try to take the filth of this world, the decay of this world, the brokenness of this world, and we try to build it up and put some paint on it and some shiny little stickers and say, isn't that beautiful? Look at what we've done. Look at what we've done. Aren't our humanitarian efforts something to be admired? It's our babble. It's our Tower of Babel saying, God, we don't need you. We don't need you, God. See, look at the awesome things that we can do by ourselves. But the one thing that we can't do is redeem ourselves. We can't get ourselves back into God's presence. We can't do that. Precious, splendid, in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his faithful ones. And because of that, the psalmist goes on to say, Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant because you, at the end of verse 16, you have loosed my bondage, my bonds, my chains. I am no longer stuck in sin because of you, God. You're the one who's done this, and therefore I am your servant. And whatever it is that you choose to do with me, God, my life is a thanksgiving offering. If you want me to be a missionary in China and to redeem one person, then God be praised. If you want me to be a dad who works in a factory and you want me to raise my children up right so that they worship and glorify you with everything that they've got, then God be praised. Christ be praised. 
See, it doesn't matter what the outcome is in the worldly sense. It only matters that we live our lives as a thanksgiving offering unto God. That it happens through prayer. That it happens in service. And that it happens in the context of community. Community. Verse 18, I will, the final I will statement about action, about what the psalmist says that he is going to do and his encouragement to us that we would follow in his footsteps. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. You remember David saying that in Psalm 56? I am obligated by my vows to you, God, he said. And David took delight in that. And here again, the psalmist writes, I will fulfill my vows. That's my pledge to you, God. I'll fulfill my vows in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house. Hallelujah. Many of you who are watching this today, many of you who are present, many of you have taken a vow. Maybe you didn't realize that on the day that you were baptized. Not the baptism where your parents took you and they had it done for you, but your willful decision as a public testimony before people in the community of God. Your life song is that you made a willful decision to be baptized into the family of God, to be identified with Christ. And your parents, your godparents, an aunt or an uncle, your grandparents, no one can do that for you. And that's why we believe here at Poetry that we believe that that has to be done and has to be accomplished by you willfully, not by mommy and daddy taking you as an infant and having someone pour water over you, but you as a mature individual in Christ that realizes, I need to make that vow before God. I need to step into those baptismal waters. I need to be fully immersed, to be crucified with Christ. I'm going to make that vow. And if you haven't done that, please do. It's not something that someone else can do for you. And if you have, are you living it out? You made a vow unto the Lord. When that pastor or that person dipped you in those baptismal waters, crucified with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, I baptize you, my brother, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But are we living that out? Are you living that out? Are you fulfilling your vow unto the Lord that was made in the presence of all his people? Are you living that out? Or is it an empty vow? Is it simply a religious ritual that you entertained? Is it hollow? Or does it have power in it? See, the psalmist said, I will fulfill my vows unto the Lord. One of those things that we do in our churches today is that we get baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Another one of those vows is when we take that, as the psalmist said in verse 13, the cup of salvation. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, as we will do as Poetry Baptist Church, today we will participate in the Lord's Supper. And when we take that bread and we remember who Jesus is and being the bread of life, the one who gave his life up for us, when we remember that and we take it and then we take the cup of salvation that he offered to us, that we would drink that cup and we would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'm going to give you my life. 
I'm going to have a lifelong prayer relationship with you, God, that's going to translate into service, and it's going to happen, not as a maverick, not as an individual that gets to sit at home and do my own thing, and from time to time, when I feel like it, I'll go out and I'll do some humanitarian stuff for this organization or for that organization. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Are you a member of his bride? Then it has to happen within the context of community. Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you giving? Are you tithing? Are you giving back unto the Lord? Are you fulfilling your vows? See, the psalmist said, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Not just that it was made in the presence of the people, but it will happen. It will occur. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house. And then he finishes Psalm 19 saying, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. See, it's a song. And it gets, we have the opportunity. It gets to be our life song, folks. It gets to be a life song of prayer and of service, and it gets to happen within the context of community. Let's pray together. God, we love you. My prayer today, God, is that there will be people who hear this message that will respond as the psalmist did, as I did, as a countless multitude has throughout generations, throughout history, and will continue on making our prayer our life song, God, our lifelong commitment to you. I'll continue to call out to you, God, day after day, night after night, and year after year. Even when circumstances around me are filled with chaos because this is the land of the dead, and I know, God, that this isn't my residence, that my residence is in the land of the living, that's where I choose to be, and I know that when I act in faithfulness, that when I call out to you, God, in prayer, that I know that you answer. I know that something actually occurs, something actually happens, and that you are glorified. I know that, God, and I believe it. I will. See, my life song is not just about prayer, but it's about service, because as James wrote, says, faith without works is dead. See, if we say that we have faith and it doesn't translate into works that glorify you, God, it's a false faith. And if we simply have works that aren't rooted in faith, as the writer Paul of Romans said in 14.23, he said, anything that does not come from faith is sin. So if we're acting simply out of a philosophy, an idea of humanitarianism, about doing good things to make the world a better place that will sprinkle it with confetti and rainbows and unicorns, we know that it's a lie, God. So it has to be a life song about prayer. It has to be a life song about service. And it has to be a life song that occurs and happens within the context of community. Your church, your bride, your vehicle of grace and transformation in this lost and broken rule to take people from this pit, this muck, in this mire, this depravity and decay, God, and to raise them up into the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this morning. We pray that this message goes out, that it falls on hearts, it transforms lives, and that you are glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for tuning in, folks. My name is Pastor Kevin Kelly. I'm the pastor of the church, Poetry Baptist Church, here in Poetry, Texas, and I thank you for tuning in. I hope that you'll tune in again. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.